Well, there's uh, something that every single follower of Jesus is called to do. In fact, every single one of us, not only called to do it, but we're actually invited to do it. Jesus says, ask and you will find, seek and knock, and you will also discover that the Lord wants to hear from you and answer your specific prayer request. You know, it's kind of interesting because one of the things that often crawls off the table in my life is my prayer life. So I've got to be very disciplined about it, very focused on it. And sometimes, if you're like me, I sit down to pray and have a desire to pray, but I draw a blank. I'm not real sure exactly what to pray, not real sure exactly what I should lift up to the Lord. Well, this morning, if you've ever felt that way before, I'm going to give you from Ephesians chapter 3, three things that you can always pray for those around you. Now, this is intercessory prayer. This is praying on behalf of other people. So that's what we want to focus on this morning, because we're going to see Paul the Apostle praying specifically for the church at Ephesus, and some things that he lifts up are same things that you and I can lift up to those who are in our lives. So think about it. If you're a dad here this morning, this is what you can pray for your sons or daughters. If you're a mother here this morning, this is what you can pray for your children as well. If you are parents, you can pray together for your children. A husband can pray for a wife, a wife for a husband, etc., and at the same time, you can pray for your small groups that you're involved in. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those who are present there in the room. Pray as well for our church body, the body of Concord. So these are three ways that you can pray. So let's look together at Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14 in our Bibles. And if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning, we'll see these taken directly out of the text. Now, verse 14, the Bible says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. Real quick, eyeball to eyeball. This is an awesome verse. The reason it's awesome to me is it gives us, one, uh, a great posture for prayer. It reminds us that there are times in our lives when we do. We get on our knees before the Lord and we call out to Him. Now, that doesn't mean every time you pray you got to be on your knees, but that is one way. You look in the Old Testament, there are different ways to pray. Some prayed standing. Some actually sat down like David in the presence of the Lord and they prayed. But here you have uh, Paul the Apostle kneeling. What's awesome, too, is that Paul is in a Roman prison. And while he's in Roman prison, he is chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. So you can imagine what the Roman guard must think as Paul gets down on his knees and begins to pray. He'd be like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm praying. I'm talking to the Lord. See, it was so vital for Paul to intercede on behalf of others that even in the most difficult times in his life, he still prayed for other people. So look at verse 15. From every family in heaven and on earth, it derives its name. That he, that is God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow together. Father, we're so thankful for your divine word today. And God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would rekindle a great passion in our hearts to seek you in prayer, to intercede on behalf of other individuals, and help us to take these three simple principles and apply them to our prayer life. For those who are not involved in praying, I pray, Lord, that this would spark something in them to begin. 
for those who feel like they're kind of growing dry in their prayer lives. Lord, I pray that this would refuel their prayer life. And for those who really do, they've got it going on, they're praying, they're seeking you with their whole hearts. Again, I just pray this would only uh, shoulder them, help them, encourage them as they continue to pray. And we'll give you glory for it. And that's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated today. So three ways you can pray for other individuals. Y'all ready to hear them say amen? All right, so jot this down somewhere uh, in your Bibles. You can even do that or jot it down on a scratch sheet of paper. But this is going to help your prayer life, and that's my goal is to help you this morning. So here's one way you can pray for others. You can pray that they would grow spiritual muscles. You pray that they would grow spiritual muscles. So again, in verse 16, you'll see it. The Bible says that God would grant you, this is Paul's prayer, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, this is pretty awesome. Paul focuses on praying not for the material gain of those in Ephesus, but for their spiritual gain. He's not so concerned about their physical toughness. He's more concerned about their spiritual toughness. Now, I remember the very first time I visited a a gym, one of those places where you work out, if you've never heard of one. But this place was called Gold's Gym. Y'all have heard of Gold's Gym before? Say yes. All right, so I walk into Gold's Gym, and I'm introduced right there in the hospitality room to a personal trainer. The personal trainer took me around, showed me all the equipment, kind of told me what the equipment was used for and how if I would use this, you know, equipment equipment on a regular basis and eat right, et cetera, et cetera, that eventually I would have the body of my dreams. And uh, I'm still dreaming for that body. But anyway, so that was, the, uh, that was the case. Well, here's what I want you to know this morning. As soon as you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you received a personal spiritual trainer. A spiritual trainer is the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God, He supplies strength And he also supplies the ability for you to live the Christian life. But here's the most important part. He supplies it to your inner man. Now think about that for just a moment. What is this inner man? Well, Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. We have this verse on the screens for you. The Bible says, the outer man is decaying. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So here again, you've got the outer man and then you have the inner man. The outer man describes what we are able to see. It describes our bodies. Our bodies, according to Scripture, are decaying. And daily, our bodies are getting older, and they are actually wasting away. The inner body, however, is being renewed day by day, the Bible says. In fact, your inner body, it describes your heart. It describes your mind, your soul. When you think about the inner man, it really describes the real you, who you truly are at all times. Now, this inner man, uh, this is uh, where God primarily works in your life to bring about transformation. So his presence is with you in your inner man, and his activity is at work on your inner person. You know, Paul the Apostle wrote his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.8. We also have this one for you on the screen. Listen to this verse. Bodily discipline, that is bodily exercise, is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Now here again, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, listen, bodily exercise is of little profit, but don't put your primary focus on the outer man. Instead, grow in godliness. Allow your inner man to be shaped by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you think about the culture in which you and I live, our culture is overwhelmingly uh, encouraging body image. That's all that it is about. In fact, uh, every single commercial is basically about what you can eat, so you're trim and thin. 
Uh, every other commercial uh, like, is like the body beast. It's talking about if you will do this particular workout, you're going to look like that guy on television, which I'm telling you, none of y'all are doing that workout, apparently, because none of you look like that. Right? But that's it. So everything is body image. I called an infomercial uh, just recently. I didn't watch it long. Amen. The Lord's helping me through this struggle of my life. But it was these ladies who were selling a product that other ladies who were a little more mature, shall I say, could purchase for $9.95. And this particular item was an eyelid strengthener. You could buy this little thing that looked like a piece of tape, and the lady could put it right on her eyelid, and you should have seen it. You should have seen it. They showed the before picture, and that lady looked rough. But then they showed the after picture after she put that tape on her. I don't know, that's Gorilla Glue up there, but she looked good, boy. I was like, oh, my goodness. That's, I had to turn the channel. Y'all listening? Because I almost bought me some. Because I thought y'all would be impressed if I had some of those on my eyes. But that's amazing, isn't it? Every single thing in our culture is geared towards you focusing on the outer man. But the follower of Jesus, for you and I who love the Lord, the priority of the culture of his people should be growing spiritual muscles. That should be our focus. And the Bible teaches that as you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit who is at work in our inner man, you will find that you begin to grow spiritual strength. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do. And by the way, have you ever noticed in a gym, if you've ever visited one, they have pictures of muscle-bound people. They have pictures of uh, in the magazines, magazines laying around. If you'll do this workout, eat this, this is what you'll look like, etc. What's going on there? They're trying to get you to have a mental image in your mind of what it could be like if you really worked hard. But here's the thing. When you think about the Holy Spirit, He has a picture as well in mind as He's working in your life. And that picture is not of some massive muscle-bound man. That picture is a picture of the character and the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's working on your inner man so that you would look more and more like the Lord Jesus and how you live as well as how you talk. He is working on the inside of every single follower of Jesus. Now here's the thing. You've got to make sure that you don't get your priorities out of line and focus more on the outer man than you do on the inner man. So as you surrender to the Spirit of God, you'll find that you begin to grow spiritual muscles. He's working on you. Not long ago, we were sitting out on the driveway at our church with the family, and you know, me and the boys were shooting basketball, but then Maddie was out there playing the ukulele. She got one of those for her birthday or something, so she's out there playing. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. She's pretty good at it too. Maybe we'll do it one day in church. But uh, amazingly, uh, Krista said, give me that ukulele. She said it just like that. Are y'all listening? Give me, because she's here, I'm like, like, she's crazy. But anyway, so she said, give me that thing. So she took it, and she said, I'm going to play the very first song that I ever sang in church. And she began to play the ukulele. She's pretty good at it, too. Maybe we'll let her play one Sunday morning. <laughs> See how that goes. But here's the song. Maybe you've heard of it. She sang this particular song. Let me kind of give you the uh, outline here. He's still working on me. Anybody ever heard of this one? To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. What an awesome song. When I heard that, I thought about this message. This is what I'm preaching on. I want you to know this morning that there are people around you that the Holy Spirit is still working on. And just as Paul prayed for the church that they would grow spiritual muscles, you can pray for others that they also would grow spiritual strength in their life. 
So think about the reality. And I love the, the, the words of that song. It took Jesus just a week to make the moon and the stars, but he's been working on you for how long? How many years? How patient he is. The moon and the stars, they didn't talk back, amen? But oftentimes we reject what the Lord's doing in our life. And so the Lord, in his patience, continues to still work on each one of us because he wants us to reflect the nature and the character of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So think of the difference as you, as parents, would pray this for your children. God, I pray for my sons that they would grow spiritual strength. That you would pray for your daughters. I pray for my daughters that they would grow spiritual strength. That you would pray for your small group leader, that you would pray for your pastor and staff, that you would pray for this church. Listen, this is you interceding on behalf of others. The unique thing about Paul the Apostle is that as he prays throughout the scripture, you will discover that much of his prayer is not centered upon himself, but instead he is focused on praying specifically for other people. Now I want you to think about your prayer life for just a moment. When you pray, what do you pray about? Sometimes I discover that my prayers are all focused on me. Nothing wrong with praying about yourself, praying for yourself. But when that's all your focus is, you're going to discover that you're missing out on one of the greatest opportunities in the Christian life. And that's to pray for other people. So you pray for the spiritual strength, the spiritual muscles of others. That's one way you can pray. So you want to jot that one down. Jot number two down. You want to pray that Jesus would feel at home in every area of that person's life that you're praying for. Pray that Jesus would feel at home in every area of their lives. Notice with me verse 17. The Bible says, so that Jesus Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now notice there in the Bible that little phrase, dwell in your hearts. Now, according to a book called The Word Pictures of the New Testament, the word dwell is a term that means to be at home in. So think about it. This is not a prayer by Paul for their salvation in Ephesus. This is a prayer for their continued spiritual maturity. He's praying that Jesus would feel at home in every area of their life as they walk by faith. Now, what the Scripture's getting at here is simple but profound. As the Holy Spirit strengthens your inner man and the inner man or person of that individual you're praying for, Jesus will feel more at home in their lives. And as the Spirit strengthens your inner man, you'll discover that he begins to transform you. He transforms how you express yourself in every single area of your life. Now, as I was studying this, I thought about my life personally, all right? So if you can imagine for just a moment uh, that my heart is a home, and inside my heart, this home, are several rooms. And so the deal is this. I want Jesus to feel at home in every single room of my life. So as I was kind of working on this message, I thought about five major rooms in my life. You can kind of put those on top of the door. We've got them here for you on the screen as well. But there are five of them. There is, first of all, my personal life. So when I think about my personal life, that's my life when nobody's around, nobody's looking. Does Jesus feel at home there in that room? Second, I thought about my married life, my relationship with Krista, right? So does Jesus feel at home as he sees how Krista and I relate to one another? And then my parenting life. Does Jesus feel at home by how I treat my children, my sons, my daughters? Does he feel at home there, or is it awkward? Is it out of place? Am I not reflecting his nature and character the way that I should? And then my work life. Does Jesus feel at home as I work throughout the week with other people? Does Jesus feel at home in my social life? So when I'm hanging out with others throughout this community, does Jesus feel at home in my heart? 
Now, this is the thing. When you are called to intercede and pray for others, this is how you can pray for them. You can say, Lord, I pray, and I, I, let's, let's pretend for a second I'm praying for my son. So I say, Lord, I pray for my son that Jesus would feel at home in every area of his life. I pray for his personal life. When nobody's looking, when he's all by himself in his room, I pray that what he thinks about and what he considers and what he does would bring glory to your name and make you feel at home. I pray as well for my son as he is involved in school, that you would allow him and what he says, what he thinks, how he acts. Let everything that he does, may you feel at home in that area of his life. Do y'all get the picture? So this is how we pray for one another, and we seek the Lord on behalf of each other. It's a massive tool. This is what Paul's praying for those in Ephesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been in a person's home, and it just felt awkward? You felt out of place before? I'm asking y'all a question. You ever had that before? I've had it several times, right? Some of it was your house, but I'm not going to mention you this morning, all right? I'm just kidding. But I, I do remember before I moved here, I, I was making some visits, and I was at a guy's house sharing the gospel with him and his family in there. And this guy was like, you know, speaking all of this uh, real kind of a baby talk to his kids, which made me feel a little weird, but I let that slide, y'all with me? But he's talking to his kids, kind of in a funny voice, and I'm like, good night. He was a big old character, too. So, you know, you think of a big guy talking baby talk to grown children. <laughs> Maybe it was awkward. But anyway, so he's doing this, but then like he flipped on a dime, and all of a sudden he started hollering at him, getting on to him and screaming at him. And then he turned back and started talking that baby talk to him again. I'm sitting there going, this is the most awkward situation I've, I believe I've ever found myself. I was so, I didn't want to be there. I didn't feel at home. Now listen, when you have things in your life, or perhaps your son or daughter or your uh, your married life has some things involved in it that should not be there, some sort of sin that's not confessed, some sort of unforgiveness or bitterness, whatever the case may be. When you have that in your life, guess what? Jesus does not feel at home. That uneasy feeling that you've got going on is Jesus letting you know he doesn't feel comfortable in the situation. That's why some of you, whenever you go into your social life and you begin to say some perverted joke, Jesus doesn't feel at home there. Whenever you begin to cuss out those who are in your house, Jesus doesn't feel at home. And you sense that in your life. That's Jesus saying, I don't feel at home here. You need to stop that. This is making me extremely uncomfortable. This is not what I saved you to be. And at the same time, this is how you can pray for others. Listen, Jesus doesn't feel at home in your son's heart when he acts that way. Jesus doesn't feel at home in your daughter's heart when she acts that way. So you want to pray specifically. Jesus doesn't feel at home in your small group whenever you act that way or somebody else does. So instead, what should you do? You should pray, Lord Jesus, give them spiritual muscles. And then also at the same time, I pray that Jesus, you would feel at home in their hearts. And as you pray, just as Paul prayed, you'll discover that God begins to work upon the lives of those individuals. And at the same time, he will also work in your life. So God wants to use, listen, God, you, God answers prayer. And oftentimes the way God works upon the earth is through the prayers of his people. So when you neglect to pray, there are some things that God just doesn't do. Now God is sovereign and God holds all things in his hand. And probably nobody prayed this morning, Lord, please let the sun come up. But he still did it. But there are still some things that God chooses not to do until you ask, until you pray. Until you seek. And for some of you this morning, you gave up on praying for some people in your family. You prayed a few times and you feel like, well, the Lord just didn't hear, so I'm not going to continue to pray. No, no, continue to pray. Grab hold of God in prayer 
Wrestle with the Lord in prayer. Ask God to answer those prayers. Listen, there are people who need to be saved that you need to be praying for. There are individuals that you need to be praying for in your family who have wandered away from their relationship with Jesus. Pray for those people. Ask God to draw them. There are people in our church family who are hurting who need to be prayed for. You've got to pray for them. You can't just sit. Listen, you coming to church is not just about you coming to church and sitting. It's about you being involved, you connecting with God. And then as you leave here, it's just the idea that you want to continue to pray over and over and often for one another. It's a massive concept. And you and I can do it. We're called to it, every single one of us. And nobody has any kind of special access to the Lord. We all have the same access to the Lord. We get in, not by our works, not by our good deeds, not by our righteousness. We get into the presence of God by the work of Jesus and his free gift of righteousness in our life. So Jesus looks at us and he's like, you're right on in. You got a front row seat. Come on in here. What you want? Are y'all hearing me, Tom? This is what God calls you to do. So we, we pray for each other. We pray for spiritual muscles. We pray as well that Jesus will feel at home in our hearts and in your hearts. And then this third thing we pray, and I love this one. We pray that those individuals would become familiar with the love of Jesus Christ. Become familiar with the love of Jesus. Notice the end of verse 17. The Bible says, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now notice that phrase there. Paul uses two metaphors to describe how love is both the starting point as well as the continued support of the Christian life. So the very first metaphor is a tree. So like a tree, you've been rooted in the soil of God's unconditional and infinite love. The deeper your roots are, the healthier you are. The deeper the roots are in this church, in the lives of others that we pray for, the healthier the church becomes. So this is a prayer. It's like a tree. The second metaphor is like a building. You, like a building, have been grounded upon the unchanging, unwavering foundation of God's love. So, so here's the thing. He wants them to be grounded and rooted in love. And then in verse 18, he says that you may be able to comprehend. Now, notice this phrase in your Bible. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So here, Paul wants them to comprehend the love of Christ. The word comprehend, by the way, is an awesome word. It speaks of grabbing hold of something, not just intellectually, but applicationally. So he wants them to know the love of Christ and apply his love in their lives. In fact, he mentions that he wants this to occur within the context of all the saints. Now, eyeball to eyeball for just a moment, don't miss this. Whenever the New Testament describes individuals as saints, he's not talking about people who were saved and became saints. Not individuals who attained that title. The word saints is actually given to us by God as soon as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. So as soon as you come to know the Lord, God makes you a saint. You don't earn it, it's a gift. You're a saint, right? That's what you are. So matter of fact, uh, throughout this earth, uh, you're in one of two categories. You're either a saint or you ain't. Y'all noticing that? That's just the bottom line. So what we want to do is we want to help those who are ain'ts become saints. And they can only become saints when they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's happening here, and I love this, and if you miss it, you're going to miss the whole crux of this particular message as well as this particular prayer. Paul wants them to plumb the depths of the love of Jesus for them. But where exactly 
do they plumb? I mean, where do they dive in? Where is the pool, so to speak? Well, the Bible says it is with all the saints. So what's unique here is that a person experiences, that is, are y'all listening say yes? Because I don't want you to miss this. Are y'all listening say yes? A person experiences the love of Christ through the community of other believers. That's how you experience it. God, the Bible says, pours his love out into our hearts at the moment of salvation by the Holy Spirit. So his spirit is here. And as we grow spiritual muscles, and as you and I begin to allow Jesus to feel at home in every area of our lives, what it will do is cause us to be humble servants of one another. And so now the love of God actually flows through our lives to affect those who are around us. And then you also experience the love of God as you fellowship with other believers. In fact, um, there's great emphasis placed here upon this in the text. Remember the context of what's happening in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. He wants to make sure that the Jews and Gentiles realize that they are not separate groups anymore. But instead, they have been brought together by the blood of Jesus. So Jesus' blood not only brought them close to God, but his blood also brought them together in unity and in love. And so now Paul is praying for this church here at Ephesus, and he's saying, I'm praying you would understand the depths of his love, and you will understand it with all the saints. Now, this is massive. Because there are some individuals that I run into and I invite to church and they say, oh, I don't need to come to church. I, I got my own church going on. What do you mean you got your own church? Well, I don't go to church. I don't feel like you have to go to church in order to be a part of the church. I don't. Listen, listen, if you want to experience and express the love of Jesus, then you do it with the saints. You, you don't hide in a closet somewhere. You're missing out. And I would also say to you this morning that if you don't really have a fervent desire to fellowship with other believers, you're probably just not even a believer. This is something God does in your heart. He and I'm telling you this as an introvert who still needs to be around people so I can experience the love of Jesus Christ. And that's something my heart longs for. Not something that I generate, but something that God gives and some of you are totally missing out on that because you, check this out, may show up to church, but you remove yourself from actually getting in community with people. And as a result, you're missing out on giving the love of Christ and experiencing the love of Christ. Here's an awesome quote from you, or you for C.S. Lewis, from C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he says. We got this on the screen for you too. The basic laboratory for knowing God is the Christian community. Are y'all hearing me preach out there? This is legit right here. The basic laboratory for you knowing God is the Christian community. Think about it. A person gets to know the breadth of Jesus' love when they face a death in their family, but they are comforted by other believers. A person gets to know the length of Jesus' love when they stray from the truth, but they are brought back by other believers. A person gets to know the height of Jesus' love when they are in need and then they are served by believers. A person gets to know the depth of Jesus' love when they are overwhelmed by life and then they are prayed for by other believers. So where do you express and experience the love of Christ? Within your relationships with other followers of Christ. 
See, within a community of believers, at least two things occur. You receive the love of Jesus through the obedient service of others. And you also uh, give the love of Jesus through your obedient service to others. This is why I'm always encouraging you to get involved in a small group, a community group at Concord. Here's the reason why. Check this out. And you got to listen closely. You cannot have genuine relationships in a crowd. You just can't do it. You're not going to experience community in a crowd like this. So what I do is encourage you to get in those smaller groups, get to know people and love one another. And in loving one another, serving one another, praying for one another, you experience the love of Jesus. That's you plumbing the depths of his love. In fact, you can think about it like this. Consider your involvement in a small group as making yourself more familiar with the love of Christ. Did y'all hear this? Listen to me eyeball to eyeball. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to help you. Everybody say, he's trying to help us. He's trying to help us. I'm trying to, some of y'all, whenever church is over, y'all are the first ones to jump in your car and peel out of here. Yeah, you come in late, you roll out early. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Preacher done started preaching. So, what, so what's the deal? You're missing out on experiencing the love of Jesus. You're missing out on expressing the love. Of, you're missing it. So I want to be like, man, go find you a small group. Get to know some people around here. Because here's the bottom line, all right? You can come here for a year, and eventually what's going to happen to you is you're going to look at this, and you're going to say, Levi pretty much says the same thing every other week. And I'm going to be like, yeah, you're pretty much right. But then you're going to say this, you know what? I don't know anybody in this church. Everybody's so unfriendly. No, they're not. No, listen, this is one of the most friendly churches you'll ever come in contact with. But listen, there, there's this concept of you getting in community that helps the friendliness grow. Right? So you can't just come up in here and be like, nobody ever talks. You, you come in late and peel out early. We ain't got time to talk to you. Y'all know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm serious, I'm trying to help you. But Jesus uh, had those inner three who were close with the community. He had the 12, community. And then he had the 72, but he wasn't as close to the 72 as he was to the 12. And then following the 72, he had thousands, the crowd. But he didn't have a relationship with the crowd because you can't have a relationship with a crowd. But he had the 12 and he had the three. Y'all feeling what I'm saying? Listen to this, uh, Dr. Larry Crabb. He says this, we've got to catch the idea that time spent with one another can actually enrich our relationship with Christ. In much the same way that two mature children feel closer to their parents after discussing with each other how much their parents mean to them. The basis of our fellowship is our shared life in Christ. Relationships must be regarded as opportunities to promote a fuller appreciation of Jesus through mirroring Christ to one another and, listen to this, treating each other as valuable bearers of the image of God and accepting one another in spite of our shortcomings. That's pretty good, isn't it? I'm digging this. And then Paul says the love of Christ, I love this part, it surpasses all knowledge. Look at the preacher for just a moment. It's like the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. You and I have the mental capacity to think about God's love, to learn about God's love, to experience it, to express it. But we can't get our minds around the whole thing. That's how awesome, vast, deep, wide the love of God truly is. 
And all of these prayers, they build on each other. So again, if we're praying for others, what are we praying? We're praying that they would have spiritual muscles, that Jesus would feel at home in their hearts, and check this out, that they would actually become familiar with the love of Jesus. That's what I want you to become familiar with. As you get to know one another in small groups, as you becoming familiar with one another, as you ministering, expressing the love of Christ, and also experiencing his love. And then he lays it out here, verse 20 and 21. It's like a doxology. This is where he just... It's like he gets beside himself. Y'all with me say yes? He bears down harder with his pen on this part. He's like, oh my goodness. Now to him, talking about God, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now notice here. To him, that is God, who can do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, What's Paul saying? Paul's like, I'm praying that you guys will mature. I'm praying that you guys will experience the love of Jesus. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. But then Paul realizes this. He's like, anything I can pray and ask God to do, God's like, I can do more than that. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Listen, I would say to you, the size of your prayers really reflect the size of your faith. So if you're praying all these small little prayers, if you're praying these things like, Lord, bless me today, what does that even mean? Lord, bless me today. As I go through my day, bless me. Does that mean like, you, Lord, help me find 20 bucks in the parking lot? What are you praying, man? Don't be so general. Pray big. Pray large. Pray large for those in your family. Pray large for your small groups. Pray large for this church. And when you, I mean, and it's amazing. Even those things that I can imagine to pray about, God's like, I can do more than that. And then why does God want to answer prayers? Because, verse 21, to him be the glory in the church. The glory. It speaks of his reputation. Where is the reputation of God lifted up? It's lifted up in the church. How is his reputation made glorious? It's made glorious as his people pray, and God answers the prayers. But if we get together and kind of pray all these small, weak faith prayers, yeah, his, we don't really think much of his reputation. The reason you pray big is because you want God's reputation to be made known in a big way. Are y'all hear, y'all hearing me preach? This is why we call out to the Lord. So I'm going to encourage you to pray. And then, then here's the other thing. He says, also may his uh, glory be in, not only the church, but in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what does this mean in Christ Jesus? Of course his glory is in Christ. Yes, it is. But here's something awesome about Jesus. The reputation of God the Father is in the Son, Jesus Christ. Well, where's the Son right now? The Bible says he died, was buried, and resurrected. Then he ascended into the heavens. Now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. So where's Jesus? Well, he's seated in heaven. So what is it about Jesus that his reputation needs to be made known in heaven? What is it about Jesus that his life is actually a reflection of the Father's reputation? What's going on there? Here's what's awesome. As Jesus works through the church, the Bible says that the Father's glory is made known to those who are in heaven, speaking of the angels. We talked about it last week. His wisdom is displayed to the angels through the church. But check this out. His glory is displayed in heaven to the angels when he answers your prayers. So when you pray, you're not only just trying to ask God to work, you're trying to see the reputation of God made massive here on earth and in heaven before the angels. So it's like, why? We should be praying. You know what I'm saying? 
So here's the deal. If you ever forget how to pray, I'm going to teach you how to remember three things you can pray very simply that we just learned together today. But you've got to put your Bible to your side for just a moment. You've got to participate in what I'm about to do. Everybody ready for some participation? Say yes. All right, good deal, good deal. So we're going to participate. If you forget how to pray, first thing you need to pray for, spiritual muscles. Put them up like this. Spiritual muscles. No flex. I'm not flexing. I'm not trying to show out here. I'm keeping them flat for the most part. <laughs> did y'all see? Did that? Did that? I'm sorry. Spiritual muscles. Praying for the spiritual muscles of others. And then we're praying, check this out, put it right here, that Jesus would feel at home in other people's hearts. And then we're praying that Jesus' love would be expressed and experienced by the person we're praying for. So there's the three motions, right? Here it is. We're praying for spiritual muscles, praying that Jesus feel at home in hearts, praying that Jesus' love would be experienced and expressed through others. Make sense? So if you're like, I don't know what I should pray, I hope you remember this bad boy right here. You with me? I hope you remember that. That's going to help you pray. Now here's the thing. We're going to have a time of prayer at the end of this service, and I'm going to lead you in it. All right? So let's bow together in prayer right now. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of a person that you can pray for right now. Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a child, maybe it's somebody in your small group, but you're thinking of them right now, right? You got them in your mind? Now pray. Just pray something like this. Say, Lord, I pray for their spiritual maturity. Pray for them real quick. Pray for their spiritual strength. And now you're going to pray for that same person again. You're going to pray now that Jesus would feel home at home in their life. You might want to walk through every single one of those doors in their lives and just say, Lord, I pray that that person feels it or that you feel at home in that person's personal life, feel at home in that person's work life, family life. And then pray that they would experience the love of Jesus with other believers. Not a solo sport, this thing called Christianity. This is with other believers. And Father, I, t I pray that this time would only spark something in us to really lift up others. And Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts during our time of invitation. And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then listen, God wants you to know him. In fact, God so desires for you to know him that he made a way for you to have a personal relationship with him. It's sin which separates you from God, and we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. But God said, you know, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to die for your sin on the cross at Calvary. And so there he is. He died for you 2,000 years ago, was buried and raised again. And now the Bible says if you will turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus, you can be saved. And some of you need that this morning because you don't have access to God in prayer until you first give your heart to Jesus. If you've been praying but you don't know Jesus, then you've just been talking to the wind. You've not been talking to God. And so today, maybe you need to give your heart to Him. So right where you are, you can pray something like this. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And so today I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for dying for me and getting up from the dead. Now help me to live a life set aside for your namesake. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart, 
First step of obedience is baptism. I'll be here in the front during this time of invitation. I want to invite you to come forward, set up a time for you to be baptized in the days ahead. But most of all, I'm encouraging you this morning just to pray. Pray big prayers. Trust God to work. And if God's calling you to join this church body, this would be your time to come as well. Father, the invitation is always is yours. We pray that you would work in a way that would honor you. And that's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning.